So, so imagine this with me, if you will. You're up there, way, way up on top. And you're there with some of your closest friends. The, the air is crisp, the sun is shining, and there, as you are there, you see the most extraordinary thing you have ever witnessed with your own eyes. Something has happened that you're going to tell everyone about. Now, now what is it that you are seeing? Let me imagine it with you, because I assume that this is where you are going. I'm going to guess that your mind went to the professional sporting event that is going to be happening this afternoon. And you are up in the stands with a few of your closest friends, looking down into the stadium, and you see the most extraordinary thing you have ever experienced. That's what I'm going to guess that you were thinking when I asked you to imagine that moment. Let's go Let's go Buffalo and the with me? That's not what I'm talking about. We're going to talk about this morning. What I want you to imagine is something that happened 2,000 years ago. When, when Jesus Christ was revealed to actually be who he is. And my name is Pastor Tom. Some of you watched this last week. We, we had a snow day. We were off. And we looked at the text, you're seeing the text that Brian just read. And some of you watched online as we shared that with you online. But I want to catch up for some of you that need that review. Because we are the third week in a sermon series going through the Gospel of Mark. And we will make our way there and we'll arrive Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, and of the book. But as we make our way there, we are making our way up this mountain. Most scholars believe Mount Hermon. So if you ever were to go there today, you can actually go down to the sea on Mount Hermon. I don't think they did it in biblical times, but you can go there today, and that's kind of the context of where this is happening. I'm not even sure if they went up to the very highest point, just up on a high mountain. They were privileged, Peter, James, and John, to see something pure and something truly great. But they didn't just get a glimpse of the greatness. They got something so much more than that. They just witnessed a great play in a football game. They have a glimpse of the very glory of God. That's our first point for us this morning. As we dive into our text today, we're going to look at chapter 9 as a whole here. When you have a glimpse of God's glory. So this is the text that just preceded what Brian read. And verse 2, it says this. After six days, Jesus took the led them up to the high mountain by themselves, and there he was transfigured before them, and his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach. When you have a glimpse of glory, recognize Jesus for who he is. As we look at this text, we need to realize, if you don't already, that our Old Testament texts tell us a lot about mountaintop experiences. The Old Testament prophets often went up on the top of a mountain to experience the glory of God. There's these peaks, there's the grandeur, there's the beauty. If you're a person who likes to, to hike and to climb, and I'm that sort of person, you can go and you can see so far and see this beauty that God has created. But there, in these peaks, we have a story, stories like Moses, where he, he comes and sees for the first time this burning bush, a bush that doesn't get consumed by the fire. And there on the top of that mountain, God tells you, take your sandals off, because you are standing on holy ground. 
There's also the mountaintop experience of Moses when he receives the Ten Commandments. He goes to the top of the mountain. He's reflecting on the beauty and the glory that is there. The illumination of God, what he has seen there. When he comes off the mountain, he gives radiant himself with light because of what he has just experienced. So here in Mark chapter 9, we get this word that Jesus was transfigured before them. The Greek word that's used there, so the original text is written in Greek and we get it translated to English, but the Greek word is metamorphosu, which we get the word of metamorphosis. So there's something that has happened, something that has changed, something that consistency of this human mind, something that's changed beyond our human comprehension, transfigured into this godly, heavenly state, and they are there and they see it. Just the same way as Moses had experienced there on top of the mountain when he received the Ten Commandments. This whole mountain, in that example, the whole mountain trembles because the glory of God is present there on the mountain. All of Israel stands in their shock of what they had just seen. Now, as he leads the disciples up to the top of the mountain, there's this dazzling scene that happens there. These very three specific men, James, Peter, and John, they get to come to the top of the mountain. And he comes dazzling white, it says, that no Clorox bleach could get his clothes this white. He is radiating with light. And they are there to experience This is something beyond our human comprehension. This is the very glory of our God. And there they are on the mountain, seeing and experiencing the beauty of God. They've set it up a mountain. They might assume it's some type of a difficult journey. And as they're standing there, they're talking with Jesus, Moses, and Elijah, they're, they appear there with him. And as the glory of God is, is, is there raising, he's, he's having a conversation back and forth with them. There's so much going on, and it's such a beautiful moment. And then Peter opens his mouth. I don't know about you, but so many times. Talking with prophets Elijah and Moses. And no one has to introduce them as Elijah and Moses somehow in this profound moment. He's able to say, That's Elijah, and that's Moses, and that's Jesus. He just talks. Isn't it good for us to be here? Yes, Peter, it's good to be here. It would also be good if you shut your mouth. standing there right in front of them. When you have a glimpse of God's glory, keep your eyes on 
Jesus. There's so many things that Peter is being dazzled by. He's looking in every direction. He's, he's confused. He's excited. He, he just needs to tell or talk to someone. He just can't keep his mouth shut. But the focus is not about Peter. The focus and the drive and the moment is all about keeping your eyes on Jesus. How many times have you gone to a women's conference or a men's conference or a worship training conference or maybe even here on a Sunday? I hope that there are moments when there are words of a hymn that are being sung and tears are streaming down your face and you are reminded about the beauty and the glory of God. But don't let that moment distract you. Because if you do, then you're going to try to recreate that moment again. I remember what the lighting was like. I remember who was sitting in what seats. And that's what we did so that God would show up. Don't get distracted. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Fix your gaze on the Son of God. Now, if you're one of the disciples, if you're Peter, James, and John, as, as I would, you'd have a lot of questions. That's our next point this morning. When you have a lot of questions, and they do, look at verse 9. As they're coming down the mountain, he charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what this rising from the dead could mean. Then they asked him, why do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? And he said to them, well, Elijah does come first to restore all things. And then he continues to explain it. When you have a lot of questions, and you do, I do have a lot of questions. There's a lot that we don't understand. And if you could imagine yourself there and seeing something so beautiful, you would have so many questions. Bring them to Jesus. Bring your questions to Jesus. You see, Peter wants to stay there on the top of the mountain. He says, let's build some tents. Let's build some things. Let's stay here forever. And that's natural, isn't it? Isn't that something we all want to do? We have a mountaintop experience, and we all want to stay there on the top of the mountain. But if you look at these disciples, if you look at Peter and James and John, Jesus is, is calling them around himself as he is saying, we need to come down off of the mountain. I've called you. You're going to come and follow me. And if you're going to come and follow me, what are you going to have to do? I'm going to go to the cross, he said. Pick up your cross and follow me. As he's descending off the other side of the mountain, he reminds us and it shows us that the Son of Man had come to suffer. They didn't necessarily understand that. They had read about, they had studied, they knew the Messiah was going to come. He was going to be a victorious warrior. They thought he'd hold a sword in his fist. They didn't understand what he says there. They had just seen this supernatural phenomenon of all the glory of God. They're trying to put all the pieces together. How does this work? They have so many questions. And we're going to continue on through the book. You're going to see them asking questions constantly. You're going to see them asking silly questions like, which seat do I get to sit at at the table, at the heavenly table? Where's my seat at the table? Then ask some more important questions, difficult questions. Why is it so difficult for the wealthy to see their need for the kingdom of God? How is it that they can be saved? Can anyone be saved? And Jesus lovingly answers every question. Jesus tells them, this has been nice, fellas. 
It's been a good climb up the mountain. I've enjoyed my time here with you. It's been a good hike, but we need to go down into the valley. Are you coming with me or not? As I was preparing this week, I was reminded of an 18th century hymn. Maybe some of you have heard of this one before as I was preparing. Many of you have noticed it, and if you know it, then you know that that's where the title of this sermon came from. And uh, I'm going to make sure we have it. Do we have words for this? This is down in the valley, uh, with my Savior I will go. It goes like this. Down in the valley with my Savior I will go, where the flowers are blooming and the sweet waters flow. Everywhere he leads me, I would follow, follow on, walking in his footsteps till the crown be won. Do you know the song? Nod your head first if you know it. I'll continue to sing alone then. Okay. The chorus goes like this. Follow, follow, I would follow Jesus. Anywhere, everywhere, I would follow on. Follow, follow, I would follow Jesus. Everywhere he leads me, I will follow on. Down in the valley with my Savior I would go. Where the storms are sweeping and the dark waters flow. With his hand to lead me, I will never, never fear. Dangers cannot frighten me if my Lord is here. Bum, 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 follow, follow, I will follow Jesus. Anywhere, everywhere, I would follow on. Follow, follow, I would follow Jesus. Everywhere he leads me, I will follow on. So, if you know that song, if you've heard that hymn before, I want you to imagine with me at the top of the mountain, Peter and James and John are singing a song with that type of melody. Follow, follow, bum, 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 bum. And they're taking arms and they're spinning around in circles together. Follow, follow. But listen to the words of that. Really? Down in the valley? Is that really the way that it's going to... Are, are you going to describe this place as a place that is flowers are blooming and sweet waters flow down in the valley? I'm ready to follow you. We don't use that word in the same way. We say we're going down into the valley. Because the valley is a place of suffering. The valley is a place of struggle. And while these... Three disciples are at the top of the mountain having this mountaintop experience. The other nine disciples are having a terrible time. Check it out. This is what the nine disciples are up against. They're in a desperate struggle. Uh, skip down to verse 14, and this is what you'll see. When they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them. And the scribes were there arguing with them. And he answered them, now up and down 19 now, and he answered them, O faithless generation, how long will I be with you? How long am I going to bear this with you? Bring him to me. In regards to the boy with the demonic suffering. When you're in a desperate struggle, these nine disciples are in a desperate struggle, bring it to Jesus. Bring him to me, Jesus says. The struggle is real, friends, and some of you are living this, and you're looking around, and it seems as though the people around you are jogging in a circle saying, follow, follow. Like, that's not the world I live in. I'm down in the valley, and it is a battle here. And if you've been to a weekend conference where you come back and you are fired up, 
and then you have to go back to work the next day. And I'm not saying that your boss is demonic, but he could be. Sometimes you go to a really tough place to work, and it's hard, and the struggle is real. This boy is being tortured. This boy is being afflicted. He is in extreme suffering. He's being tormented. And this father has been walking with him through this for years. He has such high hopes when he brings this boy to the disciples. These nine disciples who've been with Jesus, he brings them. They, he expects that they're going to be able to cure him, that they're going to be able to heal him, that they're going to be able to cast out this evil spirit that has been raping inside of him. And you can imagine the despondency that would be in that father when he, he realizes that it's not working. And you've got, for some reason, the scribes are standing there mocking and, and making fun of the whole situation. They're arguing. They're struggling back and forth. You can see them standing on the side. Yep, that's what I thought. Yep, there it's all a fraud. This is all hype. Jesus is from Nazareth. Nothing good comes out of Nazareth. There's no power in him. There's no power in these disciples. There's no ability in them. This is all fake. It's all a fraud. It's all hype. This is a ridiculous message, and it is an unsanctioned religion against the very will of God. That's what the scribes are doing. That's how they're arguing back and forth. And the poor disciples are in the middle of it. They're about to melt down because they're under all this pressure. And to add insult to injury, to, to pour salt in the wounds, there's this crowd. And when they see Jesus, they go running to him. They start commenting on the situation there. And they're standing at this angle, and they're standing at this angle, and they're, they're looking in, and all of them have this, this idea they need to comment on the very frustration that is being dealt with with these disciples, the disappointment that they are dealing with. And I don't know about you, but humanly speaking, just put yourself in that moment. This is a very stressful moment. There's a lot of tension there and anxiety there, and they can't seem to do anything about it. They're unable to cast out the demon. When you're in a desperate struggle, bring it to Jesus. As Jesus arrives, the, the, the crowd is said to be overwhelmed with wonder. We're going to presume that as he's coming off of that mountain like Moses, that he could be having that radiance about him as well, that glow about him, something. They're stunned to see him. There's something different. They're, they've been looking for him, and he hasn't been around. And now there's, he's arrived. He's, he's here. And here's these nine apostles, and they don't know what to do. And now they see him, they turn to him, and they say, Jesus, what, what are we going to do? What are you going to do? And what Jesus does is instead of focusing his effort and his time and his authority and his power on the demon, he actually focuses on the unbelief of the disciples. He actually talks and looks at them that there's, there's a greater danger than the, than the danger of this boy that has this demon inside of him. The greater danger is that they are unable to have faith in the process. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, For it's by grace you've been saved through faith. It is not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. They're trying so hard. They're struggling so hard. They think that if they just try harder and work harder that they'll be able to do this marvelous miracle. He wants to give us salvation. 
from our sins, not through our own works, but through faith in Jesus and no other way, believing in him. Unbelief is the enemy. And so what does Jesus say? He says, bring the boy to me. Behind that, there's this absolute certainty that Jesus is going to be able to handle the situation. Don't you hear that? He says, bring him to me. Bring him here. In the middle of chaos, there's this quiet moment that happens. This quiet moment between the boy, excuse me, the boy's father and Jesus. A moment that each one of us has had, hopefully, where you realize that you too are powerless to do anything outside of Jesus. When you're in a desperate struggle, bring it to Jesus. Here's the next point. When you're in a vulnerable moment, in a vulnerable moment, beginning in verse 21, the second half, he tells Jesus, if you can do anything, have compassion on us, help us. And Jesus responds and says to him, if you can, all things are possible for the one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and he says, I believe. Help my unbelief. When you're in a vulnerable moment like this, trust it to Jesus. Think about what life must have been like for this boy and his father. The demon, we are told here, had often, it says, sought to kill him by throwing him into the fire, throwing him into the water, these periodic attacks. What, what would it be like if you were this boy's father? And you're trying to care for him, trying to, periodic, that means it is happening all the time. You don't know when the next moment is going to happen. You don't know when the next one's going to come. When, when you're trying to live your life, trying to walk through life normally, and the next thing you know, your son is trying to throw himself into the fire. And so what do you have to do? You have to grab him. You have to dive on top of him, pull him out of the fire, roll around on the ground with him to get him out of the fire, to put it out. You dive into the water after him because he's, he's sinking. He's falling faster and faster. And you're swimming to the shore and trying to pull him out. And is he, he's fighting with you. He's beating you up. He's, he's doing all of these things periodically, day after day after day. When you go to the family gathering, when you go to the synagogue and try to worship, do you think the demon cares what's best for the father, what's easiest for the father? No. What's most inconvenient, what's most stressful, what's most terrible? And this has been going on, it says, since he was a boy in childhood. This is years of abuse. This is years of struggle, and he is at his wit's end. If there's anything you can do, if there's any compassion that you would have on anyone, would you please help us? This is simply an honest statement where this man really is. And Jesus feels like he gently challenges him. He says, if? He says, if you can, no, he says, no, that's never the problem in our lives as well. No, Jesus always can. The problem is if you will believe. And therefore, we fall in the trap of looking at the, this verse and we take it out of context. How many times have you seen this written on a poster or, or sent on your Instagram feed to be able to read these words? If you believe it, you can achieve it. And then you look at this type of text and you say, all things are possible for him who believes. And it's being yanked out of the context of what's really going on here. 
This text is not about intestinal fortitude or having a strong willpower or, or the diligence that the father must have to desperately want his son to be healed, that he just wants it so badly. If you believe, no. This text is all about revealing Jesus starting at the top of the mountain, this glorious moment, revealing Jesus in the very glory of God. For God, nothing is impossible. For Jesus, nothing is impossible. And you see what happens. For most of us, for many of you who are sitting in this room right now, your life was forever changed because of a vulnerable moment, a quiet moment of surrender when you realize that you were powerless to do anything. And no amount of struggle, no amount of work, or no amount of effort was going to ever change your situation in and of yourself. It's no coincidence that the anthem of the Billy Graham Crusades was that song, Just As I Am. This is who I am. No more pretending. No more wearing masks. No more pretty facades. This is me. Just as I am. And I need you, Jesus. When you're in a vulnerable moment, trust that moment. Trust it with Jesus. See, this man did this beautiful thing. He said the words of encouragement that should encourage you this morning. He says, I do believe, but help my unbelief. I want to believe, but I know that I'm not strong enough to do that. I feel my unbelief. I don't know how to handle it. You, you're the only one who can make me, encourage me, show me how to believe. And that kind of faith is small. It's like the grain of a mustard seed. Over in the Gospel of Matthew, that's the very next passage we hear. The story, the parable of the mustard seed, the faith that can move mountains. Jesus speaks the word. And the boy is miraculously healed. Friends, don't ever give up until you've taken your case to Jesus. He'll either heal or you'll wait on him and he will tell you that your healing is not the will of God. Don't be discouraged. Take it to Jesus. No matter what the doctor says, no matter what the technician says, no matter what the medical reports say, take it to Jesus. Your life is in God's hands. And if you've been in the church for any period of time, you'll hear stories about people who've gone through a difficult prognosis where they were told, they're absolutely told, they have one month to live and God spared them for another six months, another six years, another 20 years, another 60 years. God is going to do whatever He wants to do. If God chooses to heal, then He does so, and He does so miraculously. Bring it to Jesus. In church history, Jonathan Edwards was a prominent American preacher and theologian in the 18th century. Many of you have known and heard of him before. He's one of the greatest names in the first great awakening. But he faced this difficult situation where he was fired from his pastorate at his church. After being at his church for 24 years, there was an internal struggle in the church, and even members of his own family took sides and ousted him. Only 10% of the people wanted him to stay as the pastor of his church there in Northampton in 1750. 
23 years of service. And then just a few years later, his daughter, her name was Jerusha, 1758, died suddenly. And it took the feet out from Jonathan Edwards. Why would this happen? Why would he have to deal with these things? The Great Awakening had started, and he was one of the primary voices of it. Why? I mean, he's John Edwards. Verse 28 helps us answer that question. When you want a reason, why? Verse 28. And when he'd entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why cast it out? When you want a reason why, bring it to Jesus. The disciples come to him privately after this miraculous healing has happened. They come to the house, they come to a house, and they sit with him privately and they say, Master, we were crushed today. We were humiliated out there today. Why couldn't we cast him out? Why couldn't we do it? Why couldn't we heal that boy? And we're often hard on the 12 disciples, aren't we? We often can look, at, look in the rearview mirror and we figure we would have all the right answers. But here, they're doing the right thing. They're asking the Father through His Son, Jesus, in this, in this vulnerable moment that had just happened, just like the Father with His Son there, the demonic Son, they're asking Jesus, the Son of God, why? Why couldn't we do anything about this? They're courageous and fearless enough to admit their failures there before Jesus, to lay out their frustrations before Him and ask Him, Master, why? Why? This week for me marks 14 years for my wife and I. 14 years that our son Josiah passed away at nine months old with a heart defect. He lived nine months. We don't know why he didn't pass away the first week of his life. But you always, if you've been through a situation like that, you struggle with that. This tension just stays in you. Why? Did we do something wrong? Was this a situation we read about in Scripture where there was sin in the camp or sin in the family? What, what was it, God, that you were trying to teach us? What were we supposed to learn? Why didn't you heal our little boy and yet the other little boy you healed? Why? And you know what? God is big enough. Jesus is powerful enough to handle the question, why? And we actually can gain hope when we have that perspective. When we take it to Jesus. Say, I give it to you. I surrender because I'm powerless to do anything about this. I surrender all to you. We actually gain hope and we actually gain perspective when we ask that question. Why? And it's not just for the individual. You may have a story similar to mine where you're dealing with grief or dealing with loss or dealing with the loss of a job. That might be true. But collectively, we also can learn from that as well as a group of people. We as a church can be like that. Master, why has it been 40 years since this church was full to the brim? Why? Why has there been nothing else it seems like? Why is it that we only see baptisms a few times a year? Why don't we see that every month? Why don't we see that every week? Why is it that there are places in this country, there's places in this city where that is happening? Why is that not happening here? 
You can actually gain hope from that perspective and understanding that it takes a church that's willing to courageously ask and fearlessly ask God for those questions, to look at our own failures, look at our own powerlessness and say, why, God, why? God, will you show us why? And if we're earnest in our asking, he will always answer. He will always, always, always show us in his own time. We're not eager for those answers, are we? Church-wise, we ask the question, why isn't our church growing as fast as that church down the road? And we come, we've got our guns loaded, we're ready for the answer. This is the answer. It's because of them. It's because that Satan is powerful and he is mighty and he is strong and we're not equal to him. And those sinners, they are strong. They are hard to convert. And I can talk to them all day long, but there's not enough that I can do to convince them. They are worldly people and they are not interested in the church. They're not interested in the things of God. They don't even want to be saved. And it's difficult for us to win them. But just like this story... Jesus doesn't focus at all on the strength of the demon or the strength of the enemy or the strength of the devil that is there. No. He focuses on the disciples. He focuses on the people that are listening. And he says, just keep your eyes on the Son of God. That's often the reason we fail, isn't it? The Lord never mentions that he never speaks to answering that question about the power of Satan because he doesn't need to. He never refers to the depravity of the human soul or this secular or materialistic bent that is present 2,000 years ago in that crowd, in that audience, as well as it is in our crowd and our audience as well. But he doesn't have to talk about it. He doesn't refer to the enemy. It's all about Jesus. As the band makes their way forward this morning one more time, when you have a glimpse of glory, keep your eyes on Jesus. Jesus. When you have a lot of questions, bring them to Jesus. When you're in the middle of, and many of you are right now, in the midst of a desperate struggle, one that seems like you're struggling, you're fighting for your family, for your child, for your marriage, for your own life, bring it to Jesus. When you're in a vulnerable moment, when you need to surrender it all, trust that Jesus can handle that vulnerability well. When you want a reason why, bring it to Jesus. When you're going to go back down into the valley, bring it to Jesus in prayer. Look at verse 29. And he said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. You know, we spend time in the back each Sunday before we lead worship, praying for the day, praying for the service. We open every staff meeting with a prayer time. We open every elder meeting with a prayer time. We open every service. We, we do our very best to try to demonstrate what it looks like to take it to the Lord in prayer. But as we close this morning, if you are here, if you are here and you need to bring it to the Lord in prayer, we want to do that on your behalf as well. 
You've got connection cards there in your seat in front of you. All you have to do is fill something out, drop it in the box on the way out, or hand it to me. I'll be at the back door on the way out. We'd love the opportunity to come alongside you and pray with you and pray for you. The tail end of this week, Miss Bonnie Schoenthaler, we're going to have a memorial service for her. We know that she's a woman of prayer, but there's a lot of things we don't know about her. One of the things I learned this week was that she had a lot of pen pals in prison. She didn't know their names. She only had an ID number. And she would write them letters and she would pray for them regularly. Take it to the Lord in prayer. As we finish this morning, we're going to sing a song that's very familiar to many of you. The beginning lines go like this. I have heard my Savior say, Thy strength indeed is small. Child of weakness, watch and pray. Would you stand with us this morning? Dear Lord, we thank you so much for this time. We thank you for the way that your word speaks to us 2,000 years later. We pray that it would speak to us clearly, articulate to us clearly in these moments as well. 